0: What is affliction, and why do we experience it? Let's pop the top
1: on this. Cue the music. There's a
2: war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword again. So strength from the Holy
0: one. What's up, guys and gals? You're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast, where we talk the walk, and walk it too. I'm Carl. I'm Chris. And we are joined by my good friend, Pastor Micah, again. Welcome back.
3: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: What's been going on, man?
3: Oh, lots of stuff. But I think um, God's been dealing with him on a lot of things, and I think one of the main things is we kind of live in a Flesh-oriented society. I think we all know that, but especially it creeps in our walk with Christ, mm-hmm. where we kind of—I don't know—we want the—we kind of treat it like a buffet almost, you know, where we walk through and decide what we want, and you know, we don't like that. We're going to mm-hmm. go over here and get this, and and then we ignore some some parts that we need. And um, but on a good note, I got to spend a week with my new grandbaby.
0: That's awesome, man. Okay,
3: in North Carolina. And so Congratulations. Yeah, so I got to got to hold her and my daughter got to go with me. And so me and her had a good little good little road trip. And so it was it was fun. And um she she said that her, her words were, This is not a three month old baby. <laughs> she's pretty big for her age and she's, oh, already, really? she's already cutting teeth and she's holding her head up and wow. she's doing stuff that a normal three year old doesn't do until later. And so or three month old, excuse me. Not three year old, but three month old. Yeah. And so, but yeah.
0: That's how Grace was. She was massive when she was born. Mm -hmm. She was such a little chunk. (laughs) Way bigger than the doctors expected. I think that's all Steph was carrying was baby weight. She was back in her jeans before she left the hospital.
1: Mm -hmm. I do remember that. Yeah. Sounds like something. yeah. I I remember joking with Holly like, I'm like, where did she hide that? (laughs) (laughs) That's (laughs) pretty much (laughs) what the doctor said too. (laughs) (sighs)
0: Well, I'll be, I'll be open and honest. It's been, a whirlwind of a past couple of weeks for me. So I had plans for this episode and I really just haven't had a chance to sit down and prepare it to do the topic justice. I've had my mind focused on, I don't want to say more important things, but other things, more, mm-hmm. p- more present pressing right. things, I guess. So we're just going to kind of wing it for this top half. I have something I want to talk about on the, on the bottom half of the episode. We'll kind of sort of wing that too, I guess. Right. We'll see how this goes. Right on. But I feel like the bar right now is a little too high, Chris. You want to fix that for
1: us? Oh sure. So, what do you call a Bible character
3: that is just arriving at church?
0: You got anything, Micah? It's an I don't know from me.
3: I would say I don't know as well. A parking lot.
0: <laughs> oh, for crying ma'am, out loud!
1: Uh, yeah. There's the level. There, you there go. It is. Right there. Only
0: up from here. That's going to be the running motto. We can only go up from here. Right on. At least I hope. I, I think we probably could go lower.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you see, you guys are expecting like a really great joke. And it mm-hmm. I think it's funnier when it's not. Yeah. Like,
0: it's <laughs> I like agree. It's like really dumb. Dad jokes can't be that funny. If right. they're too funny, it's not a joke. Yeah. It's, it's a regular right. joke then. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Isn't that how it works?
1: Yeah. A little punny. Yeah.
3: But sometimes was- that makes that's what makes it funny though. Yeah. Because there's a little truth to it.
0: Yeah, that's (laughs) that's true. What's been going on with you, Chris?
3: Uh,
1: Not a whole lot. I actually did have notes for today. Did you? But I left them at home. Hmm. We've been in the midst of a remodel and, like you said, busy a couple weeks. So Mm -hmm. I I left home without my Bible or my notes today. Oh, man. It's a good thing we're winging it. Right. Well, I mean, most of my stuff was just. Kind of because you're always like, what's been going on with you? And I'm like, oh. "Funny, you should ask. <laughs> I <what> <laughs> I have a couple of things. And um, so, but. Chris always has it on his head. Always. Mm-hmm. Kind I'm of. That's right. Kind of. You don't even know. So he's dig got it all, in there. He's got it all. I'll give you a second. Dig around in there. <laughs> well, and Pull something out for us. I don't know. if I, I'm sure we've either hinted towards it um, or actually talked about it outright on the show. But um, I came across... Two interesting words, and I I think I'm going to say I'm right. So, it, it's exogesis and isojesus. Have you guys ever heard of those words? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm. I'm. Have we talked about it on the show?
0: I don't think so. Okay. So I don't think I've ever actually defined it.
1: Right. I can't. I can't really tell you which is which. You probably can, but the difference is in the way that you read the Bible, mm-hmm. and one is you read the Bible and put your own thoughts into it versus you read the Bible and get what the author intended out of it.
0: I get a mixed up. Do you remember? I'm sure you know the the difference between the two, right, Micah? You're yeah. the college educated one here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh I set the out. bar too high. Yeah, no, don't, hold, I don't, that, that, <laughs> don't
3: hold that against me. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exo-Jesus is when you bring the truth out of the passage. Okay. So exit, exo-Jesus no, isogesis would be the opposite. Would, right be, would be the, not the opposite, but the other side of that. X- where you, you,
1: I like yeah. that. Yeah. Where it you where you, to, where you basically push your agenda. It's almost like the you're Bible. foisting your ideas on, yeah. onto the text. Right.
3: Yeah, because application is usually many. And so, you know, we can read a passage of scripture and I can get something out of it and you can get something out of it and Carl can get something out of it. Mm-hmm. and It doesn't mean that one's right and the others are wrong. Right. What it means is that the application is this is what i get out of that passage and so right. that's you that's the isogesis is what it means to me and then the exegesis is pulling the pulling the right truth out of it oh, okay so what is, so, what is what guys intended like that would be like in context right on you know, yeah. would be more in context this is what this means in this context okay
1: so i mean so a lot so a lot of things that we've done on the show can be the iso where but in in most of the stuff that we talk about, especially you, Carl, you tend to back that up. Like this is how I interpret this, which I which could actually be considered XO because you're backing up your statement from the Bible with other Bible verses. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason the reason that this was brought up was uh, having a nephew that posted a um, a TikTok on his Facebook, which. I still don't get that. I don't get social media.
0: Okay. I do it with Instagram mixing with the podcast. Right. Like I'll post on Instagram and then it auto posts to the Facebook page. Oh, okay. But so, I hate Instagram, and, so I don't know how much more I'm going to use it. I'm sorry. I'm right. distracting from your point.
1: No, you're fine. You're fine. And, um, so the, the, and I don't want to butcher it. So I won't, I won't get too far into it today. Um, on, on what, what was actually said, but it was basically, you know, that person was asserting um, Jesus saying, Lazarus come out as Lazarus come out of the closet. Okay. Yeah. So in a roundabout way, that's kind of that, you know, Lazarus was in a dark place wrapped in, in bindings and bound up and Jesus coming upon him said, Lazarus come out. And, you know, a lot of Christians, and churches do that to the L B Q T R X Y Z Xenome Zyga group. Sorry, that that's probably a tasteless joke, but I mean you gotta <laughs> include them all, right? <laughs> but anyways, um so that we tend to do that to that community and this was Jesus saying, Lazarus, come out. And it's like, well, that's mm. And, and I think that kind of goes along with the topic from last week that we kind of had of it's very easy to, and maybe the it might not have been last week, it might have been the week before, where if you take that context and put it in a, a first-century Jewish context and put it in a 20th-century context, it's completely different. They didn't have the term come out back then, mm-hmm. right? So it's just it was just kind of... In, in, I thought it was really illuminating that that hit just a couple of days after we had that conversation and then i learned some new words <laughs> so i've kind of been trying to like i don't know study that out more because i feel like that's probably something i've already should have known and didn't mm-hmm. so it kind of felt like uh this is kind of my shortcoming where you know maybe i need to maybe there was a reason that this caught me so so sharply this week so right
0: so. Well, and that's definitely where eisegesis is dangerous. Eisegesis yes. isn't a dirty word in and of right. itself, as long as you, as long as your eisegetical interpretation is is preceded by the exegetical yes. interpretation. Yes, they go. And when you ignore, yeah, when you ignore the exegetical, the clear exegetical interpretation in preference to your preferred eisegetical interpretation, that's where it's it leads to bad doctrine like yes. that. Yes. The clear biblical teaching is that's a sin. Yes. That's the exegetical interpretation, and when you foist your opinion on it, yes. it 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 goes sideways. Some people think eisegesis is a dirty word. That's why I want to I want right. to highlight that, that they have to they have to be paired with one another. Yes, it's, there's nothing wrong with allowing the text to speak to you personally where you are, so long as you're not ignoring the clear moral teachings of the text to self justify.
1: Right, I also think it's too that it's important that you. If you can't f- like, like we've done this on the show where we've, I, you know, we've said I think this Bible passage says this, like we clearly state this is what we think.
0: Mm-hmm. If it's opinion, I'll state. If it's this opinion, is opinion,
1: right, and and I don't think that in of itself of its bad is either because, I mean, that helps us to learn because mm-hmm. right? somebody can very easily rebuke that and say, well, actually, it means this and this and this because this and this and this, right? right? So. When
0: I kind of did that yesterday, the, the, the sermon, when I mentioned the, um, um, the account of the healing of the paralytic mm-hmm. in Luke chapter 5, I think it mm-hmm. is, and I believe, it's my personal opinion, I believe when he acknowledges the faith, he's primarily looking to the friends that brought him there. And that's not to say that there wasn't faith with the paralytic too, Sure, you know what I mean? But that's purely opinion because I can't I can't verify that with the wording of the text cuz it just says their faith. Mm-hmm. Right? It just says that vaguely. Sure. And I'm not sure what the sentence structure of the Greek is, but he vaguely says that when you look at the context, it was the friends that that moved heaven and earth <laughs> to get yeah. their buddy there. You know what I mean? Right. So, that's where that's where I think it's important. To, it's okay to have an opinion. You know, right. if it's If it's backed up by the context correct, and you clearly state, this is my opinion, take or leave it. And you don't build an entire theological premise on your opinion. I think that's important too.
1: Or, Or a justification of something that is in direct contrast to another part of the Bible. Yeah, exactly.
3: Well, and I think it's the basis of knowing God's character. You know, kind of like the phrase we hear a lot, well, God told me to kill my wife or some radical thing. Well, God's never going to ask us to do anything that's contrary to his nature or character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so right there, you know that that's false. And so when we bring passages like that and we apply them incorrectly, that goes against God's nature. Then that's much different than I think this is what God is saying. And it still has a biblical principle along with it. Right. Exactly. And And so when you, that's where you kind of separate the differences there where, one is in line with God's nature and character. It might not be exactly what the passage is talking about, but it but it could be, you mm-hmm. know, and it's still in line with his nature and character as opposed to taking something completely out that goes against his nature that he clearly says in other parts of scripture that it's sin then then we've that's where we've crossed that cross that line,
0: right. Mm-hmm. Sort of like when we talked about the account of I forget exactly where it's at when Jacob wrestles with with God in the presence of the angel. Mm-hmm. And we talked about opinion on that. You know, right. why did he wrench his hip out of place? But the opinion that we arrived at wasn't in contrast right. with the character of God. I think it's, I think it's, I think it makes sense. And I think it mm. slots in nicely with the character of God, but it's right. still opinion because we're not explicitly told, right? right? It's not something that we're told. Sometimes he allows us to draw conclusions. Yes. There are times when he does that. You know, like I've, I've talked about before with the unifying theory of two plus two, I, I try to use that. You know, that just a, for those that if this is your first time listening, you provide you provide the audience with the equation two plus two, but you don't explicitly tell them the solution for if you arrive at three or five, that's on you. But I give you everything you need to arrive at the proper sum. And I think sometimes God does that sure. when it's mm-hmm. when it's something that's extremely important morally. He spells it out for us. But I think there's other times when he allows us to arrive at the correct conclusion on our own, because that's that involves seeking. He, he's clear he wants us to seek him. And it, it almost, it draws us into seeking him when there's something, when there's, when there's a problem to solve yeah. or something to investigate.
3: Yeah, I agree. with you, we all think growing up, you know, as teenagers, our parents were so, so dumb or we thought they were so dumb. And then as we <laughs> continue into adulthood, we realize, oh, maybe they wasn't as dumb after all, you know, oh, man, I hope or my, my dad, my dad this. used to all say, right. I learned the, I learned this from the school of hard knocks. You know, we all know what that what mm-hmm. that is. You know, that means learn by doing. You know, we can mm-hmm. tell somebody something. And I think if God just flat out told us, which he does in many cases of scriptures, flat out tells us this is how it is, we buck that and we want to go our own way and we want to not listen. Mm-hmm. But by not doing what God has clearly said, we realize, oh, yeah, that is the better way after all.
0: Right. That's actually, uh, and this will directly apply to the topic I want to get into on the bottom half of the episode, but I went out to eat today. And uh, I was sitting there waiting for my food, and they had a big banner on the wall, and it said, and "It really, it really stuck with me, it said, what doesn't challenge you won't change you. Mm. And I think you see God employ that a lot. Mm-hmm. We have to be challenged to be to be brought to a higher level. Sure. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we just sort of get comfortable in our own inadequacy yeah. and, and fault.
1: Mm. I think it also, there's an element of, of intimacy there where there's... There's things in the Bible that you know, just like just like any other book. You, the first time you read it, you don't, you might not pick up on it. Mm-hmm. But the more times you read it, the more the more you study it, you might come to instead of coming to five, you come to the conclusion four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think as that, you grow, yeah, as you grow and and you learn more about him, I feel like that, like he kind of like that's kind of like his blueprint, like that that instills the. Okay, you get to this point. This is this is the point that you need to be to get this intimacy, right? Or mm-hmm. right, and vice versa, mm-hmm. right? So to to be intimate with me gets you to this point. This level of intimacy gets me to this point. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, that's what's so amazing about the biblical text. You know, we call it a living the the living word because you, as you grow, it seems to speak in different ways. You know, like there's a lot of novels that I enjoy. When I reread them, I don't get something new out of it. It's the same novel as, as what I read the last It doesn't matter if I read it when I was 15 or when I read it, if I read it last year. It's the same book. There might be things I forgot about, but the Bible's not like that. Yeah. You know, I'll, right. I'll read it, uh, the same passage, two weeks apart. And then the second time, I'm like, man, yeah. I never caught that the first time. You know, I'm, I'm constantly mm-hmm. finding new new nuggets and treasures in it that I didn't, I don't know how I missed. Yeah. But it's just, you know, he, he meets you where you're at in that moment and he speaks to you. He speaks to your heart to he speaks to what your heart needs in the moment that you're in, and I think that's I think that's where we get that phrase living word because he's directly speaking to you exactly what you need to hear right then and there, how you need to grow, how you need to change, how he sure. needs to challenge you It's pretty awesome
3: it is and I think that's the ultimate goal. I know that's the ultimate goal is that he wants kind of I jumped in kind of early on that before I listened to Chris's joke, but you know just the <laughs> just the idea of you know we want a smorgasbord, you know, we we're, we walk in the flesh. We, we want to treat our relationship like it's some kind of buffet style thing where I like this and I don't like this. And, you know, we'll complain about one thing that's, but in a different context. We'll you com- know, not complain about it. it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. You know,
4: mm-hmm.
3: I mean,
0: we do that with his commandments. We do. We do it all the time with his commandments. We'll, we'll, we'll read through it and there's things that, uh, that would involve a lot of change. That would involve maybe a little suffering even.
3: Yeah.
0: My family wouldn't like that. My friends wouldn't like that. I'd have to, I'd have to, to change the party scene a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. If, if it involves too much change, we're a lot less willing to engage in the mm-hmm. process. So we just sort of push those aside. We pick and choose the stuff that, that speaks to us, that we enjoy, that we agree with, mm-hmm. and we leave aside the rest. He doesn't give us that option. Like at no point mm-hmm. does he say, you can pick and choose how you, how you approach me. You can pick and choose how you worship me. Yep. You can pick and choose how you serve me, how you love me. He doesn't give us that choice. Right. It's not it's not that he's stern or or legalistic. It's it's that he has a standard. Yes. Morality has to come from somewhere. Right and wrong has to come from somewhere. Even atheists acknowledge this. It's a big problem for them. For evolutionists, the existence of, of moral absolutes is a big problem for them because that implies that it's programmed. It implies that it got programmed at some point along the way. Evolution can't explain that, especially when the moral absolute is in direct contrast with what you would expect to find in the laws of survival of the fittest. And that's often what you find is Mm -hmm. that it directly contrasts their worldview Mm -hmm. that has to come from somewhere, you know? And if you're going to be a child of the creator and he has a moral absolute, you should be complying with it. You should be conforming to that. That's a better word. You should be seeking to conform to that moral absolute. And it's not that you're going to be perfect with it, but there should be some sort of effort at at striving toward that goal. And there's a problem. Uh If you you don't even have the desire to, something's wrong.
3: Yeah, there's always that characteristic of any child that you... Rays or C rays, you see characteristics in their mom and dad. Yes, exactly. And and that's just normal. I mean, there's things that my kids, even even though my kids are adults now, there's things my kids do, and I go, oh, I know exactly where they learned that from, because mm. that's one of my bad habits or that's one of my good habits. And you know, and so they they're even even if the children completely turn their back on their parents, there's still still some resemblance and some characteristics that define who they are. Yeah. And as children of God, there are some characteristics from our heavenly father that should define who we are. Yeah. That should mm-hmm. mold us. And he desires that, that intimacy, not just that, you know, I know you guys have talked to many times about, you know, clocking in and clocking out attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, He's just desire is much deeper than, than that type of relationship. He doesn't want a casual friendship or a casual relationship. He wants an intimacy that yeah can only come from, studying and learning and growing and sometimes feeling those hardships that we talked about earlier, but, but he, he desires all those things in our life so that we can be closer to him mm-hmm. and more like him.
0: And yeah. love has to be the foundation point. Yeah. It has to be the foundation. There's a reason when, when Jesus was asked, what are the greatest two commandments? He, and by the way, he was quoting Deuteronomy and Leviticus, Mm -hmm. for those who want to insist that the front half was thrown out, he quoted from the law when he said, Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. He pointed to love as the foundation. Love God first. Love your neighbor second. That's why, you know, I gave my first sermon ever yesterday. We're going to call it a sermon. Awesome. Thanks, to that. Why are you saying awesome? Because you're you're the one that allowed it.
3: I know. I heard it. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to
0: Pastor Micah here, he I allowed have... me to to preach at his church, yeah. our church, and uh, that was a big honor. Yeah. Yeah. But that I, I bring that up because that was the topic was love, and it has got to be the foundation. And you mentioned children, that's why I'm bringing this yeah. up. You mentioned children. I was talking to another. He's not. His label isn't pastor. He's a, a minister. I think they call him a preaching minister at his church. But Daniel. And I was talking to him and we were talking about love and he mentioned that perfect, well, not perfect, but that, that, that unconditional love you see in little kids and mm. children yeah. until something happens to start to pollute that unconditional love. And it's inevitable. It's going to happen with all of us. And as we get older and we experience the fallen world, the way it is, it gets more and more polluted. But the point is, I believe that all of us have that we're born with that connection to the father. We're born with that connection. And the I, I believe the first thing he flows into our heart with that connection is love. Love. Mm-hmm. Like we don't produce love of our own. Mm-hmm. It has to come from him. Galatians 5.22, yeah. the fruits of the spirit. Love is the first one listed because mm-hmm. it comes from him. And you see that in in children. You see that fruit exhibited until it starts to be corrupted by the world Mm. and by the imperfections of those around him. And we get to adulthood and, and that, that love light is really dimmed, right? Unless we renew that connection to him, Mm -hmm. it's very important, but you talked about exhibiting the children, exhibiting the attributes of their father. That's evidence of that in action Yes, where, Mm -hmm. you know, we're exhibiting the attributes of our heavenly father and the foundation is love if we allow it to be. But man, too often I see that's not happening. It's not being that like the torch isn't being carried.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he tells us. I mean, the great love chapter that most everybody knows, First Corinthians thirteen. He says, "Without love, all we all we're doing is making a bunch of noise." Yep. And I think in our sometimes in our assemblies and sometimes in our relationships, it's all we're doing is making a bunch much noise. We're getting everybody to look at us and draw attention to us but it's not genuine love. It's not unconditional love. It's right.
0: We're just talking. Yeah. We're just talking. Just making a bunch
3: it. of noise. Sounding brass and tinkling cymbals as I think is how it puts it. But
0: mm-hmm. we do, do little things here and there to make ourselves feel better. But we talk and it's all talk and it shouldn't be.
3: Experienced on the lighter note, I experienced that firsthand this week, you know, when I met my granddaughter for the first time, you know, holding that little three month old yeah. baby and she didn't, she didn't kind of look at me and go, who is, who are you? I don't know you. I've never met you before. No, I was just talking to her and, you know, introducing myself to her and she just smiles and looks at you with bright eyes. And I mean, it's that love and that built into them until something pollutes it, which something yeah. will, cause we all know life will, but at that age, but it has to be know, challenged. Yeah, right? Yeah. But at that age, she's pretty loving.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's awesome to see it. Yeah. You look like you have a deep thought you want to share, Chris.
3: <laughs> no, some. I'm
1: wondering, you know, I'm not disputing that, you know, the love that a child feels comes, comes from the father. It's direct correlation, but I'm also, I'm wondering like how much that love is set in familiarity, Mm -hmm. like, you know, science proves when newborns hear their mother or father's voice, their brain swells with activity. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think that correlates to, as you said, you know, as we, as we drift away, if you do, the only thing that brings that back is, 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 is reconnecting with them, yes. becoming familiar with them again. Yes. Right. So I feel like, I mean, that in of itself is, you know, I don't know the word for it, but symbolic of, you know, a a child that young. And I mean, there is some too mm-hmm. where she might not have heard your voice very much, but mm-hmm. the way that you were talking and treating her in that mm-hmm. in that instance, sure that there's you know she reflects that love, but Absolutely. I think also that there's some of that familiarity where, you know, they've and this is what this is the this is the conversation that I can't believe that 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 pro choice people don't have like that. That child knows people before it even exits mom. Mm -hmm. It knows stranger from family.
0: Yep. There's voice recognition. Mm -hmm.
1: So, I mean, even I'm, I even, I even think there's an element of like, like sentiment of the feeling of the room. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad are stressed. I'm stressed. Mm. I know something's not right. You know, yep, so absolutely. I mean, it's just that familiarity that you find that if you fall away from, that's what you got to get back to.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I believe it's positional. I believe by default, and this is opinion, but I believe by default, children are positional in in their in their connection to the father. So that love flows, mm-hmm. right? That that love flows based upon that conne- connection and that that position that they're in. But then when we we move, cause as the saying goes, if if you're If you're farther away from God, he didn't move. You did. So when you move and it's, it's never, we will, right. right? You have to, you have to confess to him. You have to pivot to be brought back into that position so that that connection can be restored. Like, I I believe that's what happened to me. I thought I, you know, I believed, but through some straying and some sinning, it, it moved me. My, you know, you you see what I'm saying? My, my sin moved my positional state away from him and disaligned me. So I didn't feel that love. That's when what he really used to wake me up was that I couldn't feel anything for people anymore. I couldn't feel anything. It was just like a complete and total numbness, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Which is, I guess I have that personal experience to know that we can't produce love on our own because I tried. I tried hard for a long time and I couldn't do it. It just led to more and more numbness until I prayed to him, confessed to him, and got brought back into that position under him. And then I, I can feel it now because it comes from him. It couldn't ever come from me. And uh, like I say, I know it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't experienced that. Mm-hmm. But believe me, when, when you move away from the Father and you sever that connection, or you, you if you don't totally sever it, but like I, the word I used, disalign yourself or misalign yourself from it, you can feel the difference. There's a market difference. It's scary. It's very scary. It's a scary place to be yeah, when is. you acknowledge it.
3: Mm-hmm. And that's why I think, you know, bringing up the children, this is not a, necessarily a topic that they probably wanted to get into, but, you know, even the children that grew up without a father, mm-hmm. they do crave that father attention. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's what you're talking about. It's built into them that there's, there's craving that attention. They're craving that that father that father figure, or somebody comes along and you hear all the time people that have a you know rough home life that well, he was like my dad, you know he was my father figure because they we need some we need that figure to look look to. Mm-hmm. I think it's a direct picture of of the heavenly Father. We need that fatherly figure. We need that picture of of him, his love for us, his unconditional love for us, that no matter where we've been, no matter how far we've strayed, He's always there with open arms to welcome us back. Yeah.
0: And you know you need it. You can yeah. you can sense that you need it even when you're so lost. You don't know exactly what it is you need. You just know you do. Yeah. Like the people walking, walking around in darkness, they know they need the light even when they don't really know what the light looks like. Yeah. They just know. It's like it's programmed in them that they know they need that. They just don't know where to look for, which is why it's so important for us as believers to carry that light. Yeah, I talked about having a, a whirlwind of a couple weeks and had to, you know, a couple big highs and a couple really deep lows. And it's all for him, from him. I'm grateful for all of it. It all teaches, right? But And I'm going to be as vague as I can about this circumstance because I'm trying to be gracious to those. I, I understand there's two sides to every story. I get that. And I understand we need to be gracious to those even when they're at fault. But this really bothered me, man. Uh, so a couple couple days ago, well, a few days ago would have been last Wednesday at time of recording uh, an individual that you and I know, no names. He just, his name just popped up into my head. Like it was in my heart. I was driving around that evening. and just, his name popped in and I felt compelled to pray. So I did. And then somebody else, uh, again, not giving names, another individual, his his name popped into to their mind at this at about the same time, and I didn't realize this until after, and we had talked about it after the fact. About the same time, his mind popped into or his his mind popped in. That's weird. His name <laughs> popped into their mind, and they prayed about it. Well, circumstantially, this person, this individual, I'm going to call him Tom to make this a little bit easier.
1: As I was going to say, I'm losing you. Yeah, yeah I, I, can, no. I, I realize there's too names. many individuals in person,
0: <laughs> So, so. Tom was the, the the name that was that was breathed into us, I believe. Protecting the innocent, inn, mm-hmm. fake name Tom, Absolutely. and my my friend happened to run into the into the path of Tom, right? Okay, and he was suicidal. He was about to give up. Right? He's 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 got some things in his background, alleged things in his background. I'm not even going to get into that, but there's some there's some stuff there. And I don't know if it's true or not. I, I, I've seen things. I, don't, I, I think we have a very corrupt justice system, and I think he ran afoul of that, just to put it that way. But it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. I know who he is now, mm-hmm. right? And who he is now is somebody who's seeking God and seeking to reconcile and seeking righteousness, regardless of what's in his past, regardless mm-hmm. of what you find on a Google search what you find on casenet who he is now is somebody seeking God and that's all that should matter, right? Well he was going to give up because he couldn't handle the treatment anymore. you know years and years and years of being treated like nobody loves him at all. And we were blessed and it was kind of funny because this this friend of ours, happened, my name popped into their head that they needed to call me, not knowing that his name had come into my heart. I hope I'm telling this in a way that's not like, mm-hmm. r- listen to the podcast like three times, then you'll figure out what I'm talking about, <laughs> I guess. Called me, we were able to talk him down and it was awesome, right? God God allowed us to be a lifeline to this guy. Talked him down, his demeanor was completely different. By the time he left, he was happy. Okay. Fast forward two days and there's a place that he goes where he has a couple friends he can go there through the week and it keeps him going. A local church uses this facility and they did their Google searches and they did their case net searches and found out what's in his background and went further to contact the management for the facility to get him permanently kicked out. So now he can't go there anymore out of spite because of his background. Now, again it's it's ugly what's in his background but i don't care i don't care you cannot say amen and wave your arms around in the air on sunday morning when you listen to your pastor preaching on unconditional love when that unconditional love benefits you and then turn right around and treat somebody who's seeking god right in front of you like that it it's so it's so infuriating like i'm mm. not even mad At first I was, I don't know what I'm feeling now. It's like, it's like exasperation and disgust and anger and sadness, like all, all mixed together and turning into something completely different. I don't know what I'm feeling. It's just when you're trying to, when you're trying to be a light to somebody like that and work with somebody like that for months and you see progress, I've seen progress in this guy and it feels like one of your greatest enemies and seeing that progress through is a church mm. and a church leader what's wrong with us yeah. where's our heart at it shouldn't be like this if like we we greedily gobble up the grace of god when it benefits us and then turn right around and deny that grace to somebody else that's a dangerous dangerous game to be playing mm. I don't know what else I wanna say. Like I said Sunday, there's a lot I could say and much less I probably should say. I right. say that a lot, but uh, it's usually true. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said what I did say. But we have I, I share that story because we have got to be more cognizant of how our words and our actions, let me rephrase it. We need to be cognizant of how powerful our words are yes. for good and bad. Mm-hmm. we need to be mindful of that love matters and it can't just matter to us when we need it you know we we've, we've got to be sharing that why well, I said Sunday it's that's that's the the deal we get the love flowing from the father but we are required required to share that love to those around us without yeah. prejudice and without precondition and without 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 regard to how it benefits us or how we can get paid back for it, what we can gain from it, or how I can improve my popularity by bragging about this. Or if it's somebody that that does have an ugly past, we can't even, we can't even love with regard to how loving that person might negatively impact our ministry. That honestly can't matter. We, we can't measure success the way the world does. You know, Jesus didn't have, in his lifetime, success by the way we measure it. Yep. Satan offered him that sort of success when he was tempting him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, no. That's the sort of success that—I'm not saying God never gives that sort of success, but Satan can too. Yes. We, need to stop, we need to stop measuring our success in our ministries based upon numbers, right, and, and, and revenue, because that's not how God measures it. He will bless with those things if he chooses to. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're successful. Does that kind of make sense what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. if you have all those things to brag about but you don't have love, you don't have anything. You lack mm-hmm. the whole deal. And just a
1: clanging symbol. I was saying those those rewards probably weren't given from God
0: <clears throat> or he's giving them graciously giving you time to fix the problem. I think sometimes he'll do that. But you're No, you're right. I'm not disagreeing with you. Right. Sometimes it can be from the other guy. Other times it can just be circumstantial. And other times it can be that he's being gracious to you, trying to get you to acknowledge that there's a problem here. It's a very serious problem here. And he doesn't, he wants to bless us. He does. He wants to bless us. But eventually it's going to come to a point where if you continue to ignore that there's an issue that you need to repent of and, and confess and acknowledge, he's going to start pulling those blessings back to shake you harder and harder and harder until you finally acknowledge there's something wrong.
3: And that's the difference between really knowing the Father, the Heavenly Father. I mean, they, you can imagine the quote-unquote disgust that we may feel because we found out something negative in somebody's past. Mm-hmm. Imagine what a holy God thinks about us, right where he says our our good works are as good as filthy rags if they're not done to His glory I right. Mean, mm-hmm. And so I mean he could very well look down upon all of our lives, no matter what background we've had, whom we like to categorize. Well, they've done this, so they're a lot worse than what I've ever done. You know, I may have just lied or I may have just told a little white lie or this little thing, and boy, they've they've committed this deep, deep, hard sin. <laughs> And it's sin.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> sin sin and it all exactly. separates.
3: It does. And that's where, you know, he looks down on us with love and compassion and the readiness to forgive when we ask for it. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's a different topic, I know, but when no, we're know, not on a topic, we're, well, I mean, we're that's you know, it, that that, forgi- that forgiveness, you know, that you know, forgiveness doesn't happen. It's not automatic. Yeah. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. You know, he will forgive us, but there's that confession. There's that repentance. There's that coming, here, you know, what you're talking about, that coming to him with a broken heart and saying, man, i failed, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm.
0: I i don't know. It, it, it worries me. Like the whole situation that, like I say, that crashed down on me. I'd already knew what topic I was going to discuss yesterday morning in the message. And then God threw that on me. To just sort of reinforce, I think, what I needed to focus on.
3: Yeah. And it was kind of interesting. My son, he teaches the we call it young adults because it kinda of ranges from youth to you know college type type age people. And so it's really kind of a young adult class. It's not really a college class, not really a teen <clears> class. Anyway, long story short, he teaches that class. And he was sharing some things from his heart. He does a little brief, um, devotional, mini devotional on mm-hmm. his on his Snapchat page and long story short, it's the same topic that you yeah. had. Yeah. And my wife looked at him and said And he didn't know. No, he didn't know. And Carl didn't know. He goes, Did you get with did you get with Carl and coordinate your lessons? And just, I was like, No, why? He goes, Well, because his topic this morning is what is love. <laughs> and so it was just neat how God pressed that upon our hearts. And I think it's important for us to really understand because I think I don't think, I know, we get into those modes where we talk a lot about love and we talk a lot about loving people, but then it's like you said in the sermon, which you nailed it right on, you know, we talk a lot about it and we talk about the importance of it and the need for it, but when it comes down to actually reaching out our hand to do it, then we're kind of, well, maybe somebody else could do that, or maybe, yep. I don't know if that's really what it means. No, that's exactly what it means. hmm Loving means the to, unlovable. Yeah, it yeah, means to get our hands, you know, we may have to get our hands dirty a little bit, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or literally, depending on the situation.
4: hmm
3: You know, I think one of the, you know, I'm not trying to be political, but I think one of the big things about the president at, during 9-11 is he was down there in the wreckage with them, you know, giving the giving the speech. You know, and everybody looked at that and was like, well, he's right down there with them. And I think that's that's what we need to do as believers. We need to be mm-hmm. down with them to to reach them, to show them that God loves them. He, he died on a cross for them. Yeah, he cares that much for them. It wasn't just for us that have a nice home to live in or have a car to drive. He died for all. And when we really realize and get a hold of that and get get a hold of that compassion, then that's true love. That's that's yeah. true love that Christ gives. And mm-hmm. you know, it is a fruit. You know, it I is. can't I can't love my wife or my children or love even him. The way that I'm supposed to without his guidance, because it yeah. comes from him. It is a fruit of the spirit. And so yeah. it does come from him.
0: And that's why I mentioned the, the need for transformation, because, you know, beyond confessing of sins, then it has to move into that Psalm 51 prayer where you acknowledge mm-hmm. that there's something wrong in me. Yeah. Something's not right here and I can't fix it on my own. Yeah. And I need you, God, to to change this in me. Because you, you have to get to that place where you acknowledge there's there's fault within yourself and get to that place where you're not in love with the fault. Because yeah. I prayed that prayer a lot. But it wasn't until I really acknowledged, I'd acknowledged it. It wasn't until I I truly, genuinely believed. I'm trying to figure out how to word myself here. I think I prayed it a lot without really being genuine about wanting it to change. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I'm trying yeah. to say. He waited until he got me to a place where I really wanted it, what I was asking for. I really wanted that transformed heart. There wasn't a piece of me that was sort of in love with the sin still.
3: I think that's where a lot of people are. I don't mean... No, you're fine. I think that's where a lot of people are. We like... We we talk about it. We even pray for it. But to actually really realize what that means, that means a change is going to happen in me. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? You know, change just, you can feel. Yes, discipleship is a is a big word, and that goes right along with loving loving him and loving loving people like we're supposed to. You know, he says, you know, no one counts the cost. There's a cost involved. Mm-hmm, there's yeah. a sacrifice. I mean, no one builds a tower without counting the cost. No one sends somebody to war without counting the cost. There's there's a cost involved in being a disciple of Christ and being a f- genuine follower of Christ mm-hmm. and reflecting his true nature and who he is. In yeah. his light, there, there's a cost involved.
0: Yep. Well, spiritually and yes. potentially physically. Yes. I just heard a story today. It was, about the, uh, it was about the Boxer Rebellion in China. And I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know that it was very anti-Christian. They were trying to take what they viewed as Western influences, and their main focal point was Christianity, and they were attempting to uproot that, <laughs> and get it out of China, right? And uh, there was a... a A massacre that they they committed at a Christian school, kids, and they they went in, they laid a cross on the ground outside of the entrance, and they went inside and they told the kids, "If you trample on the cross on your way out, we'll let you live. We'll Mm -hmm. consider that you renouncing your faith. But if you walk around the cross respectfully, you'll be killed." The first seven trampled the cross. Then you came to the eighth, and it was a girl, and she prayed. And after she prayed, she, respect, she respectfully walked around the cross and they shot her dead. And there were something like 90 students total. And after she made that sacrifice, every single student after that walked around the cross and all sacrificed themselves. Mm. Faith from kids. Yep. Kids counted the cost and they paid it. How many of us would? Yep. It's easy to be a Christian in America right now. Yes. Like like a friend of ours was saying, you weren't here, but but yesterday morning. We think that being insulted is persecution, right? We right. think fighting a legal battle against the ACLU is persecution. You don't know what persecution is yet. Absolutely. We may get to that point if we continue to not engage in the process, societally speaking. But we're not there yet. Yep. Nobody, nobody, well, I'm not going to say nobody. There are people in America that have been persecuted for their faith, truly. But it's not widespread yet. All right. It's not, it's not governmentally mandated yet, but it could be. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to get to a place where if it gets to that point, you can not only count the cost, but be willing to pay it. You have anything else, Chris, before I, I want, there's a reference I want to read before we end this top half.
1: Uh, no, I can, I got something, but. I'm not in a rush. A, Go ahead. No, it's a, it's a can of worms, so we'll save it for next time. Oh, okay. all good, it's all good. It's all <laughs> good. Enough.
0: So before we end this top half, it just seems appropriate, I'm gonna read this parable that Jesus told on the Pharisee and the publican. So I think it fits what we're talking about. And it's Luke chapter 18, and I'm gonna start in verse nine. And it says this, and Jesus also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Spoiler alert, he wasn't just talking to Jews there. (laughs) If you're sitting in a church every Sunday and you're guilty of what this Pharisee was doing, he was talking to you. We have to stop reading the text with an anti-Semitic lens. You know what I mean, right. and, and 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 saying, well, that's those it's, those bad Pharisees, those yeah. bad Pharisees. If you're guilty of what he's chastising them for, you're no different.
1: I I actually was the the moment came and passed, but I was actually going to mention that exact passage earlier today. It's funny that you read that. That's awesome. That's awesome.
3: I think as we close this segment, I think there's a lot of modern day Christians today that are Pharisees. I I 100 I mean, agree. They fit right along the lines of that. That you just read. Yep.
0: And it shouldn't be like this.
3: No, it shouldn't, but that's that's probably a modern-day church is today. Yeah. Very pharisaical.
0: Just have to, you know, you're never going to convince them. Yep. We just have to pray that they have a very life-altering encounter with their Messiah at some mm-hmm. point that leads them to acknowledging that problem, praying that Psalm 51 prayer, is we're going to need it moving forward. I think we've got some dark times ahead, and you can you can grit your teeth at me as a date setter all you want. I'm not setting dates. I'm telling you, I can see the fig trees in bloom, <laughs> yep. and it's about to it's about to bear fruit. We are in that season. You need to you need to be prepared. Now, we're going to close out this top half of the episode. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we do that, I'm going to play a song called "Issues" by Mike Marinatha, and we will catch you on the other side with the bottom half of the episode. Thanks for listening.
5: Look in the mirror, I want to be peering in the pierce But I met with a steel glance and so the band had the peel cap, but the is to fill gaps. And I managed to break a shatter of the glass, but I better put a back together, but still having a backlash from past habitual damage and actions. I laugh back at the fact that I'm half backwards. Sub in reality, actually half-backwards. Cause I lack like what a man has to have in order to pass from, looking back a lot of madness, but the fact that the matter is, you had a plan with this. that you manifest yourself a bless you wealth invest you will a blasphemous. You had to pin for palms and then exalt the limb, the martyr sense. From give me the your mid. hands, I'll give you my wounds.
2: Show me your love that I've got.
5: recognize flashbacks of a man looking back at me hotels with a pack of amphetamines and, and i know this ain't what i meant to be but i am my own worst enemy how can you deal when you feel like you want to kill pills, so you pop pills so you don't feel a thing man i'm feeling weak like i ain't got no energy my legs are walking through the desert feeling like this next term might just be the end of me and my enemies they surround me so i call out your name so loudly but these evil demons won't leave any scheming trying to leave me bleeding on the ground please. But I know it's time to get it up. Get it yeah, up. I know it's time to fight, get my fist up. up. Got my slingshot in the rock in my pocket. Better pop it and watch it, bounce off it, you noggin yeah. These demons want the death of me. Death to me. But Jesus yeah. wants the best for me. So I'ma beat you for the rest to see. Leave it all on the field, nothing left of me. No breath, to breathe uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I got issues. Yeah. You cause you can see it that I'm sinful. Blood guy came down to the middle. Yeah, Set me free from the pain and the mental yeah. So I'ma write it all down with my pencil. Yeah. You ain't gotta be afraid of the devil. Yeah. With the plan and the purpose of man You are worth it, you got it. you were give not accidental Give me your hands, I'll give you my wounds
2: Show me your love Down harder, harder then I'm all into drama. I became a pill popper, and I'm feeling froggy Man, I really wanna fight, but I got a strong jaw like piranhas Tryna run up on me, I'ma send it to my father Got a strap kinda like the heat in a sauna Matter of fact, I'm about to speed in a Honda get back to the trap and drink in a bottle What you know about that, real life G's always gonna know how I feel like Miss be stuck in the sugar don't feel right Back in the day, get in trouble at midnight And I always bought a sack, just kill time And I always hit the lake, just a little dime Now I'm trying to find a fix, now I'm trying to take a hit Now I'm trying to take a swig, I'ma live right I was all in sin, but God your salt the power the switch. I was falling like autumn with no godly friends. Now I'm walking with God with confidence. I got my all in this. I see you talking about ministry. Let me tell you what is killing me. Saying your love, but got nothing to be giving me. Saying you love, but got nothing to be giving me. You kidding me? Let me talk about your Philistines. for a poor man. I- you're back till you in the casket, they're showing love when you're in the clouds. They get love in the pulpit. No wonder I get issues. Saying this God, but not all to be cool with. Showing love to Judas when he kiss my issues. Give me your hands, I'll give you my wounds. Show me your love. To you now, Lord, I'm lifting them up to you now, and it's time to take my game off, shake my pain off, let you grab these chains and break off.
0: And we are back. On this bottom half of the episode, I want to talk about something. I know we've talked about it before, but I want to talk about it again. Especially after that story I shared there toward the end of what happened to Tom. So I want to, and last time we talked about it, you weren't here, Micah, so this would be good to, to bring up again anyway. Why does God allow affliction? That's what I want to talk about. And how would we define affliction? Obviously it's when he's pressing us in some mm. way, whether it's spiritually, internally, or physically, externally, you know, health or other people. Mm. It doesn't matter. Just affliction in general. Why does he allow
1: it? I don't know. I, th- I I think if I remember right, this this topic kind of originated with does he create? affliction for us.
0: That's where Our, the conversation went to went the last to, time we brought it okay. up. Okay.
1: So, and that's that I guess that's where I I still struggle with the and I, and like you said, you made a really good point. It it was a thinker and still is. And it's uh it's one of those things where I'm like I feel like he allows it for change and growth, but I don't think he necessarily creates it for those reasons just because i can't wrap my head around and this is probably, this is where us as humans have a flaw mm-hmm. of being able to wrap our minds around god's grand design for our lives and the intertwinings of them but i can't wrap my head around a god that would create pain or affliction or suffering for somebody simply to teach a lesson would he allow you to go through that stuff? Yes. But I don't think he necessarily creates that for you. So that makes sense.
0: I will. It does.
1: But I disagree. Right.
0: And the reason and I, I think, disagree. I think
1: that's that's where we landed on the last. And this is okay. Yeah. Like
0: it, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm I'm right or you're wrong or vice versa. But I believe that he will cause pain. And it's not simply to teach a lesson. I think it's if it's the only way he can get you to return to him.
1: That's what it was. He absolutely this is will. coming back to me now. Like yeah. that's what was the kicker. It wasn't. Or sorry to interrupt
0: no, you. No, you're good. Or if it's the only way to train you, to prepare you for a calling he has on your life that's going to serve as a rescue for others. And if the only way to get you ready for that is to inflict pain on you, like a boot camp, I think he will. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm right like it's okay to have a counter-opinion to that But I think it's interesting you mentioned uh, it's hard to wrap your mind around his grand design well, what was it you said you had a discussion with a friend of yours Micah earlier and and you mentioned to me that we know that God's in control but we kind of don't like it sometimes yes. isn't that what you said mm-hmm. like cr- yeah. correct me if I'm wrong on how yeah. you worded no, that you're
3: right. Yeah, we uh, have a standing call with a pastor friend on Mondays, and we were talking about God's sovereignty, that God is in control of everything. Well, if we really believe that full circle, that God is in control of everything, then we realize that even though things look like they're unraveling in our world, and even though things look like there's no hope, you know, we understand that God has a plan and a grand design in those I think it is to draw us closer to him. I think it is to get our attention. I know it is. I didn't say I yeah, think. I, I know I know it's to get our attention. He put Jonah in the belly of a fish for three days to get his attention because he was straying and he didn't want to do what God had told him to do.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so he needed he needed that attention getter. You think of the men in the you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We like to bring up that story, but... It was a radical display of who he is, where he comes to be with them in that fire, to to be with them. It was a display. It was a hardship for them, but it was a display for them to really draw and see the the true God. You think of Elijah when he, you know, God brings fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, you know, to show them who the true God is. And I mean, all throughout the scriptures, you see this over and over and over again of trying to draw people into himself. And and yeah, I think you I think you will allow us to go through those things that that are hard sometimes to to get our attention. And you know, I think there's many times that we know God's protection, we've seen God's protection, and we can testify to God's protection. But I think there's times that God protects us when we don't even know we're in danger. Oh, I agree. And I think that just I mean that blows. That's some of those things that kind of blow my mind. You know, it's like. How many times have I been in serious danger and not even known it?
0: How many times should I have died and didn't? Because yes. he, he worked behind the scenes yes. in ways that I didn't see.
3: Yeah. But to get our attention, you may not block that. You know, okay, I'm straying away from him. I'm not as close in my walk with him. So I'm not going to block that like I have been. I'm going to allow them to go through those things because they need to get on their knees in repentance and they need to be right. drawn and back into the relationship.
0: And that's really my focus more so with this is is why he allows it why he may draw back whether he creates it or not is a is a little bit it's a fun conversation but it's a splitting of hairs really whether he designs it or just allows it it's the purpose mm-hmm. that I'm really focused on why and to draw is is what I believe or or yeah. to prepare I think those are the two the two main reasons he would do it is to draw someone who's strayed or to prepare someone for a calling that they're not ready yet and really that can be a form of strength too. Cause so I think a lot of times he calls us to things and we kind of like Jonah, you mentioned Jonah, that was a calling that Jonah resisted. And I think most of us are guilty of that realistically because yeah. I, like I, Absolutely. like I've said before, when he calls you to something, he does not care if you're comfortable with it. And I think usually you won't be. And it goes back to that phrase on the wall, of that restaurant that I mentioned, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. I think the challenge I think it, it elicits growth and we take it more seriously, also.
3: A pastor friend of mine, he says all the time one of his favorite phrases that I, I ask him if I could steal it. So I'm not. <laughs> he says, You know, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what a great thought. Yeah, you know, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. He doesn't right? call the qualified, he qualifies the call. God right. calls you to do something, he's going to qualify you to do it.
0: Absolutely. And it's probably not going to be right. pleasant. Yeah. The qualification process is probably going to hurt. A little bit, realistically, like that's why I mentioned boot camp. I think yeah. it's very similar. Yeah. Boot camp's not fun.
3: I mean, he put he blinded Saul Paul at the time for three days. Mm-hmm. Sent Ananias, who knew his record background, and said, "I don't know if I want to go talk to that guy or not." Yeah, <laughs> his his reputation precedes me. Are you really sure? He's like, "Yeah, I've I've spoke to you. I spoke to him. He knows you're coming. God's coordinated it again. His sovereignty. He's coordinated it all together and." We know the story, but...
0: Oh, and look at Zacharias. Yes. I made him mute for yeah. nine
3: months. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. miserable. Yeah, I and mean, we can go through all throughout the scriptures and see examples of, of that.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to read something that I found, and I don't know how I had missed this. One of those things going back to the Living Word, you know, you can read something a hundred times, and then you find it, and you're like, wow, that's very eye-opening. Not paradigm-shifting, but eye-opening, but it's about mm-hmm. Solomon, And it's a prophecy that Yahweh gives to David before Solomon's ever born, right? And it it applies to this, but it says this. He's saying that that this son that's going to be born will build the temple. In the context, David wants to build a temple for, for Yah. And Yahweh tells him, no, but your son will. But there's something interesting he says about Solomon here. And it's 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 14, he says... I, Yahweh speaking here, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Just pausing there for a moment, in the context of this prophecy, he's saying that this will be after David's dead. So in the context of the period of time that Yahweh's prophesying to him, I think it's a it's a comfort that Yahweh is giving him that when you're gone and you can no longer rightly guide your son, I will. And I think that's what he's saying there. He will always have a father even when you're gone, he will have a father in me. Let me read that again. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. This is the important part. When, when he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him. That's where I'm going to stop. Now we know in hindsight, the sin of Solomon was bad. We're not talking about some minor some minor little little faults or flaws or you know tiny little mistakes he engaged in idolatry he engaged in pr- some pre-ranked sin yep. so Yahweh's looking forward in time and he's seeing the deep deep sin that Solomon's going to engage in and he says I'm going to correct him for it I I'm going to do that that's affliction he's talking about here I'm going to bring the, I'm not going to spare the rod that's what he's that's what he's saying I will correct him with the rods of men, but I will never stop loving him. Never. He looks forward and sees how horrific Solomon's sin will be. It doesn't say if he sins. It says when. And in this prophecy, he is looking forward in time at Solomon's sin and saying, I will correct it, but I will never stop loving him. That is awesome. Now, I think that's really kind of the answer to the question of, why does he afflict us? It's because he loves us. Yes. Isn't it? I mean, realistically, he doesn't want to lose us. Yep. He doesn't want to see us swirl in our in our sin and where that leads. He wants us to come home to him, not because he's some cruel taskmaster that demands we do things his way. It's because he loves us. It's like he was promising David that he'd love his son the same way he loved him.
3: And that's the desire of any good parent. Yeah. I mean, I... I, when I was in the working in the secular world, um, God blessed us where I don't have to do that at the moment, but you know, I would hear all the time, well, I don't care what my kids do. I don't care, you know, well, that's a parent that doesn't really love their child mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and you know, I could stray off into my own opinion on that and that right. and that's a different <laughs> that's an episode <laughs> or a different different right. day if you if you will, but the parents that do care their, for their children that love their children. Do train them, you know. Do correct them. Do discipline them. You know they they do care what they do, and, and God cares about what we do. Yeah, He cares about our actions, and and yes, we will stray just like our child does. When we when a child strays, we discipline them. Mm-hmm. You know, we correct them to bring them back into a right place, and and God has to do that to us over and over and over again. Yeah and the problem is most of the time we don't acknowledge it well this is, I'm just having a bad time right now well maybe God's trying to get your attention maybe maybe there's something that instead of griping and complaining and about our situation that we're in maybe we need to get on our knees like you said put on some sackcloth and get some you know repent a little bit and see where see where God see what God wants yeah and we may or may not know that because sometimes there's things that we don't we don't ever know I mean, another pastor friend of mine just just lost his wife. I mean, Saturday they, everything was going well. I mean, she wasn't sick or any kind of any kind of ailments that that we know of, and they were just having revival at their at their church. And woke up Saturday morning, and now she's in heaven, and he's dealing obviously dealing with the loss of his of his wife. And you know, so there's things that we look at, and we go, well, is God really in control? What's why would and why would he have to go through that hardship or that affliction? Mm-hmm. Well, we don't know. I mean, there could be lots of reasons, yeah,
0: and sometimes yeah. it may not be an affliction like, for example, Ezekiel, yes, you know, he was told that his wife was gonna die yeah, and I don't believe it was to afflict Ezekiel. I don't I, I don't believe in that yeah. context it was affliction for Ezekiel, but there was there was and we don't have time to get into it, but there was deeper prophetic implications yeah. for him. Yeah. It can be other reasons too why exactly. we, why we suffer hardship,
3: yeah and you know so I think you think of the man that was born blind and brought to at Jesus feet and the disciples are like, well, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. And of course, Jesus corrects them really quickly and says it's for my glory because mm-hmm. I'm going to heal him. I'm going to bring, restore his sight, but it's not any sin. That's, it's just the way it is. <laughs> it's for my yeah. glory. It's for my honor. It's I'm going to get the glory somehow through, that's affliction.
0: I think those are the two errors we fall into with sickness okay. and and physical ailment is is either the assumption that it's always because of sin, or the assumption that it's never because of sin, right. and neither is true. Right. It's
3: kind of like, I mean, this is a different topic, not to stray too far off the topic, but I think it's judgment on our world. Sometimes we see these great big mm-hmm. catastrophes, you know, Hurricane Katrina, and those are the big ones. You know, the big hurricanes or the big disasters, the tornadoes that that hit through hit through. Or there. Is that God's judgment? I don't know. I'm not a doomsday person to say definitely it's God's judgment, but it very well could be. Right. I mean, you look at some of the places that those things hit and the lifestyles that are there that are completely contrary to what God tells us we should live, and it could fit. Again, I'm not saying that's the result because I'm not God. His ways are right. not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways, and we're Never going to understand his ways until we get to our until we get there to be with him you Yeah, get into our glorified glorified state, but mm-hmm. I think some of these things that we just kind of blow off and we think, well why would God do that? Well, maybe God wants our attention yeah, maybe God's trying to tell the United States of America that you are not a Christian nation like you claim to be you need to draw back to me
0: right I absolutely agree because I think I think you do see individual affliction. For the individual person in their sin, but you also see corporate affliction. He did it with with Israel. He did it with Jerusalem, yep. and he he will do it with America. Yeah. I believe we've already seen him do it, like like Absolutely. you mentioned there, and and minor little afflictions to get us to turn back. And yep. if if we don't turn back, it'll get more severe. And that was the next the next phase of this discussion. I wanted mm. to get into is where the affliction gets more severe with time, because you mentioned that a lot of times we don't we don't take notice of the affliction we certainly don't apply what he's trying to get us to apply right and if we if we don't take notice of the affliction what's his next step a worse affliction mm-hmm. and if you don't take notice of that a worse affliction i think there's a stair step so if you if you fall into a very severe affliction this is, i think this happens a lot you're you're in a, an extremely severe affliction then you want to like shake your fist at god and i have to ask how many times did he afflict you in a very minor way before that that you ignored God. And now that he's afflicting you hard to get your attention instead of ignoring God, now you're shaking your fist at him. Because I know I'm, I'm honest with myself now, finally. <laughs> he afflicted me hard. But I know that he afflicted me very easily many times before that, and I ignored him. I point-blank ignored him, and I have no right to shake my fist at him when I forced his hand to draw me back. I owe him my eternal thank you that he deemed me worthy of being drawn back. He could have just ripped me off. He didn't do that. you have a thought, Chris? No. Uh, just I just wanted to make sure. I didn't know if you were... You were... absorbing. Oh. you know, Sometimes I, was... I can't tell when you're, like, desperately trying to get a word in edgewise or just listening. No. I don't want to give you mm-hmm. room and space. All right. Just making you know, sure.
3: <laughs> you know, I was counseling. Uh, this has been a few years ago. I was counseling a recovering alcoholic and... He was in a bad place. I mean, his drinking had got him into a really, really bad place, and he was to a point that he stayed with us for a few days and um, didn't have a job, didn't have didn't have any money. I mean, he, I mean, he was in a in a rough spot, and he looked at me during kind of our one of our sessions, and he looked at me and he goes, "Well, why would God allow that? He God knows the state I'm in. Why would God allow this?" And I'm like, "Well, first of all, you're blaming God for something that's a consequence of your own actions." Yeah, consequence is a perfect word. And I, and I think we do that often. Okay, yes, he's repentant, and yes, God forgives, but God doesn't always take away the consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid, if I went out and got got drunk and plastered myself, got in my car and hurt somebody, you know, and I get on my knees and repent and, you know, ask God for forgiveness and, you know, I had a lapse in judgment and, you know, you know, whatever, and, you know, would God forgive me? Of course he will. But there's definite consequences that arrive from that. He might mm-hmm. not open the prison exactly. doors for you. Right, exactly. You're forgiven, yes. but you're still going to have yes. to pay the penalty. Exactly. Right? And yeah. so, and so the con- and so I think sometimes we look at the afflictions that we're going through, and you know, it's in that moment, like you said, that we want to shake our fist at God and blame Him, when in reality it's really consequences of our own actions. Mm-hmm. No,
1: they're more earthly afflictions. Yes. Of, yeah. Of of our actions on Earth.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And affliction is always when it's affliction to draw us back. Like and that's how I'm defining affliction. Yeah. I know there's you know, there's different ways to define it. I'm for this discussion, I'm defining affliction as what God brings into your life to draw you back to him. And that's always a result of our action. That's always a consequence for our misbehavior. Always. It's never it's never a result of his wrongdoing. It's always a result of your wrongdoing and he's trying to free you from your wrongdoing not necessarily free you from the consequences that your wrongdoing caused. Yeah. There is a difference between those two things. So I want to read something. We're talking about affliction and how it can get more severe. And I think this reference very aptly describes the the most severe phase of that affliction. The book is called Life is Messy by mm-hmm. Matthew Kelly. We actually got this at that, that men's conference we went to a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It's that free book that I had. They just threw at me on the way out the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... It's in the chapter called The Dark Night of the Soul. And I'm going to read this. It says, quote, In the 16th century, a Spanish mystic named John of the Cross penned a poem known as Dark Night of the Soul. It narrates the journey of the soul and marks one of the most significant spiritual discoveries of all time. The Dark Night of the Soul is a spiritual crisis, a form of spiritual depression, an existential quandary. It produces doubt, confusion, and soul sadness. The soul sadness we experience during the dark night is an extreme form of sadness that has no cause or explanation. It also produces a spiritual condition known as desolation. Hmm. In this state, you experience the anguish of complete emptiness. Everything seems meaningless. John of the Cross describes being lost in oblivion. The dark night of the soul annihilates anything you believe about yourself that is not true, Everything is stripped away except your essential self. Your old self is left behind, and your new self emerges. And when the darkness lifts, you have clarity like never before, because all that is left is the self you cannot live without, and a piercing sense of how to spend the rest of your life. End quote. The reason I want to read, I wanted to read that, that described precisely what I went through. And I, I hope you guys have never gone through that. I hope you never have to, but I have. I know exactly when I read that chapter, I knew exactly what he was describing because that is exactly what I felt when he pulled his hand back a bit to remove the veil before my eyes so that I could see where I was leading myself in my sin. And it's, it's the worst feeling I've ever experienced in my entire life without doubt. I never want to feel that again, ever. I've told God explicitly, I'll do whatever you want me to do to never have to feel that, and I don't want anyone else to feel it either. I don't want anyone to ever ever push their sin or push God to the point where that's the stage where you force his hand, right? To draw you back to him, you force his hand. Desolation's awful. Hmm. It's awful, but I believe that's the the final stage of affliction. And if you ignore even that, or you turn to the enemy, or you press into your sin, I'm not sure that death isn't the next step. Because there is a sin that leads to death. The Bible's clear about that. You get to a point where you're just such a lost cause that you're just doing more damage on earth than good. And he removes you. I'm not sure if I was close to that or not. I might have been. But I know he put me through desolation. Connecting it to scripture, there's a reference from uh, it's the second book of Chronicles, chapter thirty-two, and uh, it's just a it's kind of a one-off line, but it's about you, you, I talked to you about it earlier today, Mike. It's it's about the king Hezekiah, mm. and it's talking about toward the end of his life, and just in a in a one-off toward the end there, before it talks about him being in the grave, and it transitions over to his son Manasseh. It says that, and I'm doing this off memory. It basically says. That God, how does he say it? Maybe I should just look it up.
4: Probably better. I should
0: probably look it up. I don't want to say this wrong. Do,
1: do, do. No, I'm just kidding.
0: You want me to give myself the music, Chris? No. That'll make you feel better?
1: No, because this is, this is different.
0: Okay, It's actually, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and it's verse 31. And it's the second half of the verse. And it says, God left him alone only to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. End quote. God left him alone so that he could see what was in his heart. And I think that's the purpose of desolation. I think the purpose of desolation, like it described in that chapter, is to to unmask the flaws that you need to recognize and confess. Mm. It peels away the layers of your heart that you've calloused over. Right? I kind of think of uh, Jesus in the storm, like we had talked about on the 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 Galilee, the okay. Sea of Galilee, and he's asleep, at the bottom of the boat. The disciples are panicking, waking Jesus up, like we're all going to die, you know. And I think that's, I think that's an example of what God's talking about with Hezekiah there. Jesus never left him. He knew exactly what was going to happen when they got in the boat. He didn't say, let's wait two days until the storm passes. I foresee this storm coming. He knew it was coming. He also knew they were going to make it to shore just fine. They were going to make it through the storm. He was there with them in the storm, even though it seemed like he was sleeping. He wasn't really. He was always with them. But he revealed what was in their heart. Letting them believe he was sleeping in the storm, it revealed a lack of faith. And it forced them to come face-to-face with that lack of faith so that they could correct it. Mm. And I think that's the purpose of desolation. It causes us to come face-to-face with that version of ourselves that we've been nourishing that's not good and see how much we need to allow him to transform us into that new version that only he can mold that we need to be. We wouldn't see it without the desolation or without the affliction of some kind. Without the affliction, we wouldn't see that.
1: Does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. Kind of a, instead of thinking about why did you put me here? It could probably be thought, how did I end up here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, you talk about that God left him be. And I think and I don't think it's just it does happen in that situation, too, but I think it can be in something as simple as you know <clears throat> something bad happened, and you, you and God takes his hands off of it for just a second, kind of reveals, do you go to why did you do this to me, God versus what am i what are you trying to teach me mm-hmm. it can kind of reveal. Where, like you said, where we're at and where where we need to align to. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think we've talked about the, kind of the negative aspect of affliction, but I think the positive aspect of affliction is when we do go through those trials, you know, when we're tried and we're purified and we come through as gold. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's t- those times that it's a testimony to somebody else that... You know, maybe there's nothing in our life, or maybe we're walking in our right relationship with God, but God wants to show himself strong through that situation so somebody else draws to him. And through that circumstance, through that affliction that we're going through, somebody looks at that and goes, Wow, how did you handle that? How did you get through that affliction? How did you get through that hardship that well? You know, it's kind of like the peace that passes all understanding Mm -hmm. when people look at that and go, well, how can you have peace? I don't understand that kind of peace. I don't understand that kind of calmness in you, even though things seem to be unraveling and things seem to be falling apart. I don't understand that kind of that kind of peace. And I think affliction, the positive aspect of affliction, the negative is yes, God wants our attention and He will do that. And everything that we've said is true. But the positive aspect is that is when we do get tried and we do get tested or afflicted, you know, and we go through that and we come through as gold. And you know it's a testimony of who he is in our life, and it does reflect him and radiate his his light like mm-hmm. we sh- like we mm-hmm. should. I mm-hmm.
0: wonder if I wonder if that's not what it was for the woman with the bleeding. Yeah, you know, and that's as a side note. That's an, that's that shows how long affliction can last. She suffered mm-hmm. with that for twelve years. Like a, a friend of mm-hmm. mine recently said, twelve minutes dealing with a physical ailment like she was dealing with is a long time. Yes. 12 years feels like an eternity. Yeah. But she did. But her faith didn't fade. Yeah. right. That's why he healed her. Mm-hmm. She had so much faith that she knew. She knew. Yes. She knew that if she could just get to him and just touch the hem of his garment, if she could just touch his seat, she knew that she'd be healed. Knew it. After all that suffering, after all that affliction, she still had that level of faith. And I can imagine how bright she shined after that. I'd love to know more about her story.
3: Yeah. You know, that example that I just gave earlier, you know, the blind man, you know, where the disciples are saying, who sinned, this man or his mother? No, this is, this is, I'm going to do something here. You know, you think of the lame man in, in Acts three, you know, where um, Peter and John walk up on the scene and, you know, people literally carried him every day to the, kind of your example of the earlier or the earlier side of the podcast about love, how many people just walk by him and never, that's a different sermon I know, but how many people just walk past him and, you know, some threw some money, you know, he was begging for money and some people threw some coinage in his cup and some looked at him and said, get away, you know. Again, I'm not going to try to stray, that's the earlier, that's the earlier side of the episode, but the story is, you know, here's this guy he who's healed And he's walking and leaping and praising God. He runs into that temple and everybody knew and recognized who he was. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he was crippled for that reason. I think there was something spiritual there as well. And that's it. Again, that's a different topic, but he, he's walking and leaping as a testimony to who God is. And they look at Peter and John and Peter and John, obviously with gratitude said, why are you looking at us as if we did something great? It's not us. This is all, this is all the power of God. And so I think, the positive side if there was one, because it's not positive when we go through affliction right. <laughs> or hardships. That that's you know, you think you look at that, but I think of Job. One of the verses that really baffled me in the whole story of Job is after he lost everything in that first chapter, the Bible says that he worshiped. You know, in all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly, and he fell down on his face and worshipped. Said, Naked I came into the world, naked I'll leave, blessed be the name of the Lord. What a response to affliction and that was before he had all the physical ailments that was just the yeah the servants and the i mean then he then he gets attacked with health health issues and the story story goes goes on but what a response for us when we go through afflictions and we go through hard hard times is that our response is to worship
4: mm-hmm.
3: or is our response to criticize and shake our fist at god and right like you know why are you allowing this well Maybe it's for his glory. Maybe he's trying to get our attention. Maybe there's something else that he wants mm-hmm. to to grow us.
0: Yeah, maybe he needs to break us down to build us yes. back into something better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Absolutely. it's very symbolic that when, when Job gets the physical ailments, it says that he's scratching at the at the, the scabs with a yeah. piece of a broken pot. Yeah. And I can imagine that that's exactly what Job felt like, a broken yeah. pot. And that's kind of what he was, mm-hmm. really. But he gets built back into something so much better than he was before. I think that's always whether we're straying or not straying. I think the purpose of affliction is to build us into something better.
1: Mm-hmm. I this might be, well, it does show my lack of lack of knowledge. But in the, the story of the, the the blind man that was brought to Jesus, and they say, you know, is the sin of his own or of his parents? Does he does the terminology say that, or the verse say that he says, "Does it matter? I'm going to use it for my glory." Or that there is none, but I'm going to use it for my glory. I'm not sure. I'd have to. So I'm I'm kind of curious because I if if I if it if it's if it's reading the same way that I remember it, I want to make a connection. If not, then we'll kind of glaze over it. While you're
0: looking that up, Mike, yeah, I right. just want to reference that. Uh, the woman with the bleeding is from Mark chapter five. I just wanted to tell the, the listeners that, cause I forgot to reference that. If you want to look that up and read that. Now, he's always got one more move for us, right? He mm-hmm. has, right? No matter how how much of a lost cause we feel like, he has another move for us. I shared this at Passover, but there's a there's a story I love to that end. And I don't think I've shared it with you, Chris, but there was a painting and it, it used to hang in the Louvre. It, it hanged there for a really long time. It was actually auctioned off in the late 90s. I think in 1999 it was auctioned off, so it's not there anymore. It's in a private collection now. But it, uh, what it depicts is there's a chess game, right? And that's in the center of the painting is a, is a chess board. And it appears to be checkmate. And then on the right-hand side you have a, a, a man. And on the left-hand side you have Satan, and Satan's gloating because he has checkmate, and the man's in despair, like staring at the board trying to figure out what to do. The painter never actually titled it, but it came to be known as Checkmate, is what the the museum came to to title it, because they title their paintings. And in I verified this. This it's it's considered a, a legendary account, but most historians believe this actually happened. And there was a tour going through the Louvre, and they were introducing the painting, and the tour guide described the painting, what it depicts, what it's named, and then they moved on. But a man from the tour stayed behind, and he's just staring at the painting. He's just infatuated with it, just staring at it. And again, the tour moved on to another painting, and then another, and the tour guide noticed that he was still standing there staring at Checkmate. So the tour guide went back by themselves to, to talk to the individual, and they're like, is there, is there something wrong? Is there something I can help you with? And he was like... What, what did you say the name of this painting was again? And they said, it's Checkmate. And he said, well, there's a problem here. You're either going to have to rename the painting or you're going to have to have somebody come in and repaint it. And the tour guide's like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, I, I don't know if you know who I am, but I'm a world-renowned chess champion. I'm a, I'm a world-class chess champion, and I see things in chess that most people don't see. And although this appears to be Checkmate to most people, it's not. And the tour guide's like, well, how do you mean it's it's not checkmate? He said, it's not checkmate. The king has one more move, and that one more move puts the devil in checkmate. The king always has one more Mm -hmm. move. The symbolism of that, Mm -hmm. of all the pieces on the board, and I believe the painter, the original painter, did that on purpose. It looked like checkmate to an untrained eye, to a chess champion. It wasn't. The king had one more move, and it put the devil in checkmate. And I think that's what our king does for us so often. We come to places in our life where we've ostensibly let the devil win. It appears like the devil's won. Mm-hmm. We we succumb to temptation. We succumb to his deals. And it looks like he has our life in checkmate to our untrained eye. But the father, being the proverbial chess champion he is, sees that, no, the king has one more move, and it's going to put the devil in checkmate. You've just got to surrender the board to me. I think that's what he's telling us mm-hmm. to do through affliction. Yeah. Surrender the chess board to me. Stop trying to play on your own. You're not going to beat him. We're not going to beat the devil. The devil's a better chess player than we are, but he's not a better chess player than the father is. Sorry. We've got to surrender that to him. I think that's the whole point of affliction is getting us to surrender the board to him. Mm-hmm.
3: And you think of Passover, you know, we just celebrated Passover, and you think of the plagues, each plague got a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason. I think there's a reason for that. I agree. I really hope you, that's not coming through on the mic.
0: I don't think it probably did. <laughs> okay. To those of you listening, <laughs> Chris's stomach went nuts <laughs> grumbling. Right? My goodness.
3: This is, um, you're... I'm going to read the verses 1 and 2 okay. just to kind of get the context. But um, the answer is, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus said that. Okay. But I'm, going to, I'm going to start in verse 1. This is in John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world.
1: Mm, okay. So it doesn't, doesn't quite, it's not quite as impactful, but the, the connection I was going to make was, was with your friend, Carl, mm-hmm. is, you know, you said, doesn't matter about his past. When we love him with Christ's love. Watch what God can do with him. And I feel like if that would have been the trajectory, the story that you told wouldn't have happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's like just the love or lack thereof can change. I feel like can change the trajectory of somebody's purpose in God. Ooh, I agree.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We've all heard the, I don't know if it's a joke or a riddle or what you call it, but the statement about the disciples—you know, one was a murderer, one was a one was a betrayer, one was, you know, and a, you know, David is a man of mm-hmm. God's own heart. He's an adulterer. You mm-hmm. know, kind of goes through all the list of the the men of the Bible, and you look at some of those that God used in dramatic ways. And I think you're right. You know how you know? Do we need to see the potential of what God can do? Maybe God's got something in His past that He wants Him to teach or somebody else doesn't fall into that. I don't, I don't know how God's going to use that, but yeah. he can use it. He or, can. Even,
1: or even just a testament of, Absolutely. look where I was. Yeah. And look where God's love can get you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
3: I, I agree.
0: And sometimes maybe things like that occur, and it may be the case with this individual, that you get so focused on the people that are doing you wrong that it overshadows the people right in front of you that care. Sometimes I think we get so focused on the ugliness of people that we we don't even notice the love from
3: others. We need to be Barnabases. Yeah. I think of, you know, when...
0: The encourager.
3: Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. not only just that, but he goes to bat for people. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of Saul converted to Paul and that whole story. You know, people didn't believe him. They His history... His history preceded him. I mean, everybody knew what he, you know, he was a Pharisee. He was influential in Stephen's death, you know, the first martyr, (laughs) first martyr of the Bible. And, you know, there was, there was lots of things in his, in his past. Oh yeah. If
0: they had case net back then, they never would have allowed him to be a pastor or a missionary or anything.
3: Exactly. And here's Barnabas stands up and says, Hey, I can vouch for this guy. I've seen a change in him. I've seen God working in his life. And we need more Barnabas to stand up for people that have had hard times and they've had... They've been down on, down out like that and they are coming to God and they're growing and you see the growth and why would we douse water on that burning flame that's, that's mm-hmm. there? I think we mm. need a
0: very real ministry for the, for the forgotten yeah. and the, the downcast yeah. and the outcast and the people that mainstream church has treated like they're not welcome. Yeah. I think we need a very real ministry for that because Absolutely. they just get pushed off to the side because there's yeah. not enough of them to air quotes matter.
3: And they need the successful ministry off that, right? Yeah. And they need the Barnabases to come alongside and say, "Hey, I see what God can do through. I can see what God can do with him. I can see what God can do with with her." Yeah.
0: There's a message there. There is. Any final thoughts before I close this out? I think you pretty much aired out your final thoughts already, didn't you?
1: I think so. yeah. Yeah.
0: Before we go, I want to read something. This was from a devotion from a couple weeks ago and it's very fitting for this topic and it's a uh, it's grace for the moment by max Licado. and it says this he looked around the hill and foresaw a scene three figures hung on three crosses arms spread heads fallen forward they moaned with the wind men clad in soldiers garb sat on the ground near the trio women clad in sorrow huddled at the foot of the hill Faces tear-streaked. All heaven stood to fight. All nature rose to rescue. All eternity poised to protect. But the creator gave no command. It must be done, he said, and withdrew. The angel spoke again. It would be less painful. The creator interrupted softly, but it wouldn't be love. Mm. I love that. It's good. He always has one more move for us. We have got to surrender that board though he doesn't desolate us because he finds it funny because it's fun to him or because it's enjoyable to cause suffering he wants us to return to him I think i will close this with a with a story that i heard recently and it's there was an individual and he was on a boat at sea right and the boat sprang leak and started to sink And he's trying to pale out the water and he's, he's praying to God and he's begging for help. He wasn't a praying man before that, but now that he's facing death down now, now he's praying. Now he's pleading for a rescue, right? Mm -hmm. He's paling out the boat and it's not working and it's sinking. And he's begging God to help. And then lightning strikes the boat and it catches on fire. So even, even the little bits of wood that he could have clung to, now they're burning. There's absolutely nothing left. And then he starts to shake his fist at God. Why are you allowing this? Why didn't you just help me? Why is all of this happening? And over the horizon, a big tugboat appears. And it comes up to him and they pull him in. They rescue him. And the captain says, it's a really good thing your boat was on fire. Otherwise, we never would have seen you. Hmm. Hmm. He brings affliction into our life for a reason. We may not see how it's rescuing us or how it serves to rescue us. But if we surrender the board to him, we will. You've just gotta be patient with him. And you've gotta acknowledge that he's in control even when we don't like it. (laughs) When acknowledging that he's in control means acknowledging things that make us uncomfortable. Here's those rumbles again. I really don't think they're coming up in in the microphone, so that's probably a lot less funny than the audience, but that's That's okay. That's
1: embarrassing. They're awful loud tonight.
0: (laughs) To those of you on the other side of the mic, thank you so much for listening and including us in your day. Before you go, don't forget to follow our podcast, leave a positive review, and click the bell icon to be notified whenever we upload new episodes. Also, feel free to join us on social media and share any feedback, questions, or discussion ideas you might have. Links are in the description. Additionally, if you can't get enough of my voice, search for the Broken Record Ministries podcast for more content for your ear holes. And as always, we pray that what we're doing here is a blessing to you, as well as a light pointing only ever to Him. This has been That Philly Faith Podcast, encouraging you to keep your feet steady upon the path, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and pursue that Philly faith. Until next time, shalom.
1: God bless
2: Sing in glory, Amen. Sing in glory.